We're going to continue our study in the book of James. We'll be looking in chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 12. So just in a moment, we're going to read those together. But first, I want to bring you this story. Paul Harvey was a broadcaster for ABC News Radio from 1952 through 2008. And he was best known for a statement, you know what the news is. In a minute, you're going to hear the rest of the story. That's probably familiar to you. The rest of the story is a program that Paul Harvey created. He always started with a familiar story that his audience would know and then added additional facts that are not well known, adding more to the story. For example, in one episode, he tells of a certain speech given by President Lincoln. And for this particular speech, the president was sick and not feeling well when he delivered it. And the president felt that he had not done well with the speech. It didn't go over well. In fact, as he read the news clippings from the Chicago Times, it says the speech was, quote, ignorant rudeness, an offensive exhibition of boorishness and vulgarity. Well, the rest of the story, the speech, as you might have guessed, was the Gettysburg Address. But the sickness, however with smallpox. President Lincoln was coming down with smallpox as he was giving the most famous speech of his presidency. So hearing Paul Harvey there, you can tell there was much to the rest of the story. And in our passage today, James is dealing with a very familiar subject to us. He's dealing with suffering, a topic his audience understood and this audience understands. James is telling them that he sees their suffering. He acknowledges that it's very real. But he helps them to see that there is more to the story of suffering for the Christian. Now they and us along with them are going to hear from James about suffering and about the rest of the story. Let's read it together. James chapter 5 beginning in verse 7 and going through verse 12. It says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. I'm aware of my need, so please pray with me as we begin opening God's word together. Father, we come before you, Center Church, we come before you in prayer. Lord, I ask your help and your grace to be able to communicate the truth of your word to our congregation, Father God, that we may see in your word the truth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Fathers, we study this topic of 
suffering. Lord, that you might help us to see Christ in the midst of it. Lord, allow this passage and allow me to preach this passage. Lord, with all the truth and the power it contains. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, the main point of my message this morning is this. When suffering, be patient by looking to Jesus. When suffering, be patient by looking to Jesus. And there's two points that I'll have in reviewing this text today. First point is when suffering, be patient. And the second point is when suffering, be encouraged. So as we look at verse 7, James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. James is giving them and us direction on how to respond when they suffer, even when they suffer unjustly. In the preceding verses, verses 1 through 6 that we heard last week, he's rebuking the actions of the rich in society and those who are holding back the wages of the laborers and of the poor that they employed. We see back in verse 4, James says, Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and has been withheld by you cries out against you. So how does James instruct them in his audience that this would describe? How does he instruct them to respond to this genuine suffering? To revolt? To forcibly take back what's due them from their rich employers? To take them to the courtroom for justice? No. He says, be patient. Well, for how long? Until the coming of the Lord. So how is this encouraging instruction? A call to be patient while suffering until the end of time? There must be more. The only way that this can bring comfort is for there to be more to the story. More that James can share with them and with us about how to review suffering and how to be patient in it. To help them to see suffering in such a way that it does not eclipse their lives with anxiety that can consume them. James needs to help them to see truth about God that can speak into their suffering with hope. But James is not only giving them a command when he says to be patient, he, he then begins to tell them how to be patient while suffering and why to be patient in suffering. James begins with the reality of this Christian life. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. He does that by encouraging them to be patient until the coming of the Lord. So James first illustrates for them this kind of patience. And he illustrates them by first taking them to look at the farmers. And this audience would know that if you're a farmer, inherent in the role of a farmer is patience. You had to learn to wait. You had to learn to be patient. It was part of the job. Beyond the active work of planting, weeding, and caring for your crops, there was absolutely no control that you could exert to bring about the rain or to cause the seed to become mature fruit before its time. You must trust the Lord with the germination, with the growth, with the maturity of your crop and the rain to cause all this to take place. You see, in Israel, the farmer had to wait and be patient as the word says, until the early rains came 
so that they could have a successful planting. That was usually in the mid-October to mid-November time frame. Then they had to wait and be patient, trusting that the late rains would come, which would be mid-December to mid-January, and that rain would bring the grain to maturity before harvest. So the farmer waits, the farmer's patient, waiting for the early and late rains and trusting God every step of the way. You see, the farmer had to wait with no guarantee that the crop would come to full harvest. He could only trust God with his crop. James refers to the crop as precious in verse 7. Well, something that you labored for for months would certainly be precious. Now, on the heels of this illustration of the farmer, James then repeats the charge in verse 8 when he says, You also be patient. Establish your hearts or strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. See, James is telling them that by seeing the example of the farmer, it should, establish, it should strengthen them. Why? God is trustworthy. God brings the early and the late rains. God brings the harvest. Even though the farmer has no assurance that his precious crop will actually mature from one year to the next, the farmer's patiently waiting for the time to plant, for the rains to come, for the crop to mature, for the harvest to be complete. The farmer is always patiently waiting for something. D.A. Carson says this, Christian waiting is not waiting for something but waiting for someone. And that someone begins the rest of the story that James shares with us. James is bringing to them in the midst of their continual, unrelenting suffering another reason to trust God. Jesus is the reason they can be patient. There is nothing that is more precious to a Christian than being with Jesus. No end to a trial. No untold riches. Not good health, not marital bliss, not business success, not peace in our time, not anything is more precious than Jesus. And we should live like Jesus, as he says here, is at hand. You see, the farmer has no assurance that his precious crop will actually mature to harvest year after year. But the Christian, we have full assurance that what we are patiently waiting for the coming of the Lord, James tells us that the Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, is not only coming, but He's at hand. He's at the door. Nothing can ever keep our Savior, our precious Savior, from coming for us. His coming is certain. When Jesus comes, He is coming for us. And as James mentions us, He's reminding them that they are citizens of heaven, that this is not their home. When they realize that this world and this suffering is temporary and the permanent is yet to come, patience in suffering then becomes a choice. The Gospel Primer written by Milton Vincent says this, Hope of eternity with Christ in heaven enables my heart to thrive during the most difficult of trials here on earth. When looking at the sheer weight of unseen glories to come my troubles seem light by comparison and when I look at the staggering length of eternity my troubles seem fleeting in comparison 
It is only against the backdrop of a glorious eternity that my circumstances can be seen in such a manner. And the promise of the glorious eternity is part and parcel of the gospel itself. See, James is helping them to see the rest of the story when he says, the coming of the Lord is at hand. He's helping them to look to Jesus, for them to fix their eyes on Jesus and saying, church, let's live that way, that he's there, that he's coming. This isn't your home. Your home is in heaven where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and he's coming. Then James adds another example. The farmer was a practical example of patience, and they all could identify with that. Then he turns their attention to the prophets, who were an example of both suffering and patience, as we see in verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider them blessed who remain steadfast. James points us to the example of those prophets who have gone before them. Those that they've read about, heard about, those that have suffered, suffered more than they, even unto martyrdom. They could see the entire scope of their lives written in, in history, in biblical history. How they trusted God and how God provided for them. And how God finally took them home. Look at their example. The prophets remained steadfast under their trials and suffering. As they considered the prophets, prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, and others who have walked this earth and served God, they were freshly reminded of the stories and their examples of patience in the midst of their severe suffering. They were examples of people like them but people who stood firm until the end because God was with them. Prophets were patient while suffering beyond what they could even imagine for themselves. They were steadfast and considered blessed. They could see how God met them. See, the farmer's a natural illustration of patience for them, something they can see in their daily lives, what they can do to affect their ability to follow these examples and to be patient. And then they look at the, the prophets that have gone before them. So James is painting this picture for them. Be patient as you suffer. But then James interrupts these illustrations and brings a warning. He brings a warning in verse 9. He says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James, again, using the language we heard in chapter 4, verse 11, when he gives a command to do not, and this do not also refers to the speech of the people of God. He is warning them to watch their language together when they are enduring times of suffering. He gives us a strong admonition, similar to verse 11, where he says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Here he says, do not grumble against one another. He wants them to see the importance of maintaining unity together, together through tough times of suffering. When we grumble, we complain. James knows that in times of suffering, we can easily become frustrated and even turn and blame one another. 
He is warning them of this. You see, our suffering can take many forms, but it's still suffering. In my own suffering, I can often feel like my situation is more severe than what my brothers and sisters are experiencing. So James is warning us to watch our speech at these times. Do not grumble. It affects our ability to be patient in our suffering. It affects our unity together as a church. So now let's look at my second point. When suffering, be encouraged. As James then brings the final example of suffering for them to consider, he looks at the prophet Job. He brings Job to their attention. And as James does this, we see James continuing to reveal to them the rest of the story. He says, James lost everything. His wealth, his children, his status, his health, everything. He lost everything but his wife, who unfortunately was a source of grumbling to Job. This in itself can be a good illustration of how James wants them to see the effect of their speech on one another. James' suffering was well known by all. James was not only patient in his suffering, just like you and me, but despite James, or excuse me, Job's grumbling, Job never ceased to believe in God. Though he complained, the flame of faith was never extinguished from his heart, as one of the commentators said. You see, as James brings the example of Job before their eyes, it's an illustration that God is not distant or disconnected from Job's suffering. Regardless of how it may feel, God is never disconnected from our suffering either. God's trustworthiness is not in question. We can trust him with every moment of our suffering, knowing that, like with Job, there is never an unnecessary or unused moment of suffering in our lives. I'd like to read a quote from Charles Spurgeon as he preached on this very topic. He said, We must have seen in, Job, in Job's story, if we had regarded it aright, that the Lord was in it all. It is not a narrative in which the devil is a sole actor. The great Lord is, of all is evidently present. He it was who challenged Satan to consider Job and then questioned him as to the result. Less seen than the evil one, the Lord was nevertheless present at every act of the drama. God was not away while his servant suffered. In fact, if there was any place where the thoughts of God were centered more than anywhere else in providence at the time, it was where the perfect and upright man was being the brunt of the storm. The Lord was ruling too. He was not present as a mere spectator, but as still master of the situation. He had not handed over the reins to Satan, far from it, for every step that the enemy took was only by express permission from the throne. He allowed him to strip his servant, but he set the limit. Only upon himself, put not forth thine hand. Just as God is ruling through the suffering of Job, he is ruling through the audience that was listening to James and to us as well. In church, we have something more than what Job had. We have an advocate in Jesus Christ 
who is ever interceding for us and sympathizing with us. Romans chapter 8, verse 34 says, Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Right now, he's interceding for you. He sees your specific suffering, and he is interceding for you. And then it gives Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, gives another view of how God is with us and understanding and sympathizing with us. We have more than Job. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We have more than the prophets. We have more than Job. We have Jesus. And James is helping us to see that. Then he goes on in verse 11. He directs their attention further to the character of God. He uses descriptions from the Old Testament. We see in Exodus 34.6 and in Psalm 111.4 these descriptions of God. Verse 11, you have heard the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purposes of the Lord, the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is what? Compassionate and merciful. They could see how the Lord was compassionate and merciful to the prophets in their suffering. They could see how the Lord was compassionate and merciful to Job in his suffering. And now James is telling them in the same way. The Lord is compassionate and merciful to you and your suffering. Compassionate and merciful describes the character of God. His character never changes. James uses the present tense in reminding them that the Lord is compassionate and merciful now. Not at some time in the future. Not in heaven. Now. God has not forgotten the prophets and their suffering. They experience God's compassion and mercy. We can read it and see it. He enabled them to endure to the end. Job experienced God's compassion and mercy that enabled him to endure to the end of his suffering. And Christian, you too will experience God's compassion and mercy to the end of your suffering. And he will not forget you in your suffering. Whether you're dealing with constant physical pain, maybe unrealized expectations in your life, maybe unrelenting depression or continued unjust treatment in the workplace, maybe the loss of a loved one, unreconciled relationships, maybe continual financial pressures or loneliness or deeply overburdened with life demands, even the loss of normal life routines through our ongoing COVID restrictions, whatever it is, suffering takes many forms and affects each one of us. But God is not trying to make life hard for the believer, but is instead showing his compassion and his mercy in assisting them and us to develop godly character and to put our investments in heaven where they will last forever. The Lord 
is compassionate and merciful now, today. My last quote's from Dane Ortland in the wonderful book, Gentle and Lowly. Hear how he talks about Jesus. The reason that Jesus is in such close solidarity with us is that the difficult path we're on is not unique to us. He has journeyed on it himself. It is not only that Jesus can relieve us from our troubles like a doctor prescribing medicine, it is also that before any relief comes, he is with us in our troubles. Like a doctor who has endured the same disease, our tendency is to feel intuitively that the more difficult life gets, the more alone we are. As we sink further into pain, we sink further into isolation. We are never alone. Excuse me. The Bible corrects us. Our pain never outstrips what he himself shares in. We are never alone. The sorrow that feels so isolating, so unique, was endured by him in the past and is now shouldered by him in the present. That describes our Lord gentle and lowly so well. And he is with us. We have more than Job. So the rest of the story speaks about God being with us. God actively working in us. God being trustworthy. God being compassionate and merciful. And God sending Jesus back for us. Knowing the rest of the story, we should look at our suffering like it's an iceberg. It's real and it is massive. But what we see of God at work in our lives is like what we see above the waterline, the 10%. What God is doing in me, what God is doing with me, what God is doing for me, is what is below that waterline, the 90%. As we trust God in our suffering, as we look to Him as our advocate, as we anticipate our home in heaven with Him, we can begin to allow patience and suffering to be our choice, our decision. For our God is able. So church, I'd have two points of application for you this morning out of this passage. Number one, when you're suffering, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He is your advocate. He is interceding for you in your suffering. Remember, Christian, you're waiting not for something to happen, not for the end of a trial, but you're waiting for Jesus. You're waiting for someone. Remember, the suffering that our Lord experienced was beyond what we could ever experience. He understands. He sees your suffering. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. And number two, when others are suffering, encourage them to look to Jesus. Help them to see a God that extends mercy and compassion to all of his children when they suffer. Help them to focus on the iceberg and the 90% that's below the waterline. That more describes the work of God in our lives. Church, let's trust God to help us be patient in suffering, following the direction James gives us today. Please pray with me. 
Father, we come to you in prayer. Lord, your word directs us clearly. But Lord, we need your grace. We need your help. Our suffering can be so confrontive. We can be so aware of it that it is so hard to look beyond it, to look to Jesus. Father, help us do that. Help us to take our eyes off ourselves. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and now sits at the right hand of the throne of God, where our home is. Father, may we live for you until you come. And may we live as if you're coming today. In your name we pray. Amen.